All right, everybody. It is Wednesday, July 26th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Mo Shwanunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, coming to everyone today from our new offices at WeWork in Brooklyn, New York. We recently moved in here, have a new partnership with the good folks at WeWork. And you can check out in the show notes a new deal we have for Mo News listeners. Jill, there's a desk just to the left of me that is still <laughs> waiting for you to log in for the first time. Every day. Jill, so when are you going to make it to the office? When, when are you going to come in? I do mean Jill to. is remote work for life, everybody. <laughs> yes. Next week, Mosh. But I understand you have homework at home. Your husband heard the podcast on Tuesday and learned that you've never watched Caddyshack. And I understand that it's led to some issues at home for you. I actually want to read verbatim the text message that I got this morning. Kind of embarrassed to hear you say on air that you have never seen Caddyshack. I quote it constantly, and I'm 95% sure I made you watch it, but it sounds like we'll be watching it this week. So, sounds like uh, Jill has to stay at home until she watches <laughs> Caddyshack, uh, Doctor's Orders. But that was sort of what you were mentioning when you said it was like one of those movies like Godfather that people lie about (laughs) having seen. And immediately when you said that, I'm like, should I have not have admitted on air that I have not seen this movie? It it might be a gender thing. I don't know. You guys write in if this is a thing. Uh, But I think like of for men of a certain age, Caddyshack was one of those like you had to see those films. I don't know if it's the same thing for women uh, or just of a certain era, Jill, I know that you also never drank a carbonated (laughs) beverage. There's a lot of unique things you missed out on as a child. Yes, I may not be the best barometer here. Um, But let's get to some news. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says House Republicans are moving closer to impeaching President Biden. Also happening in D.C., a congressional hearing on UFOs with former military and intelligence officials who say that they have had unexplained encounters. Back here on land, strike averted at UPS. And on to politics, we're one month from the first GOP primary debate and North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum has qualified thanks to a very interesting tactic. LeBron James's son, Bronny James, is in stable condition following cardiac arrest uh, on Tuesday. And the water temperatures off of Florida have hit 100 degrees. Mosh, for some perspective, that's as hot as a hot tub. Another presidential dog accused of biting people around the White House. Jill, my favorite story of the day. Of course, I was not one of the people bitten. <laughs> I was going to say, as long as everyone's okay. And the right way to snack, according to science. Does it involve Jill eating chocolate-covered peanuts while I record a podcast? Because <laughs> that's what I'm doing. Plus, Mosh is on this day in history. Jill, a big day for Americans with disabilities uh, and the introduction of disco. All right, let's start with the presidential impeachment talk in Washington and the latest headlines from House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. He said on Tuesday that Republican lawmakers may consider an impeachment inquiry of President Biden over so far unproven claims of financial misconduct. Speaking yesterday at the Capitol, McCarthy said the questions House Republicans are raising about the Biden family finances need to be investigated 
so far. He acknowledged that the House's probes have not proven any wrongdoing, but that an impeachment inquiry, quote, allows Congress to get the information to be able to know the truth. We should note that an impeachment inquiry by the House would be a first step toward bringing articles of impeachment. An inquiry could be as lengthy or as swift as the House determines, potentially stretching into campaign season. And it is the strongest comment yet from McCarthy on a potential Biden impeachment after the Republican leader sidelined earlier efforts by House conservatives like Marjorie Taylor Greene to launch such an inquiry. Now, with a slim majority in the House, McCarthy faces demands from Trump allies to elevate their priorities. McCarthy on Tuesday not giving a timeline for launching an impeachment inquiry, but again, uh, his strongest comments yet. Yeah, this is something that the hardliners in his caucus with his very slim majority have been clamoring for since they got the House majority uh, after the midterms in January. So to give you a sense for how some of them are thinking, uh, conservative Congressman Ralph Norman of South Carolina suggests that there would be a, quote, uprising against Biden if the House did not move forward with an impeachment. To just give you a sense where the heads are of certain folks in the caucus. Republicans in Congress have been ramping up their investigations of President Biden and his son, Hunter Biden. They're digging into family finances, particularly payments the younger Biden, Hunter Biden, who's just in his early 50s, received from Burisma, a Ukrainian energy company. Hunter sat on the board of the energy company, had no energy experience. The sense is that he got that position because of his family name and the hope that that company had at influencing uh, U.S. politics at the time. There is a theory, so far unverified, despite years of investigations, that uh, there was a connection here to President Biden. There's an unnamed confidential FBI informant that claimed that Burisma officials back in 2015, that's when Biden was vice president, uh, sought to pay Hunter Biden and Joe Biden millions in return for help in ousting a prosecutor who was investigating the company. Uh, This has been the subject of investigations for a few years now, and they have not found any substantiation, any verification that any money went to then Vice President Biden. The Justice Department actually launched a review of those claims in 2020. That was under Trump's attorney general. That probe was closed eight months later with insufficient evidence of wrongdoing. Nonetheless, Republicans here continue the investigation. You hear now McCarthy saying there's more here and we should formalize an inquiry Potentially, uh, it does come, as we've been reporting on Hunter Biden, reaching an agreement with prosecutors related to other matters. He is set to appear in court in the coming days related to a guilty plea related to misdemeanor charges for failing to pay taxes in recent years. He's also expected to face probation on lying on a uh, gun application. Uh, Again, Hunter, the focus here, Hunter's never served in the administration, uh, but people are trying to link him to his father because in negotiations, he used to claim that, you know, he could get his father to do stuff. Again, no evidence that Vice President Biden did anything for him. Uh, remember, then Biden leaves as vice president in 2017, is a private citizen for four years before returning as president in 2021. So something to uh, remind folks is look at the timeline of events here as things pop up. Uh, in the meantime, again, you have the hardcore conservatives who've been calling for an impeachment of Biden, along with the impeachment of the Attorney General Merrick Garland, as well as the impeachment of the Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas. Uh, And so all those names, uh, they're talking about impeaching all of them. Part of this, by the way, retribution for not one, but two impeachments of Donald Trump. Trump very close to a number of those House Republican members. The White House responding 
yesterday saying, instead of focusing on real issues Americans want us to address, like continuing to lower inflation or creating jobs, this appears to be the issue that House Republicans want to prioritize. Just looking at history here, Jill, until the 90s, there was one impeachment in American history of Andrew Johnson in the 1860s, in the first 200 years. Then, since the Bill Clinton impeachment in 98, you had Bill Clinton, Trump twice, and now talk of impeaching Biden here. So, uh, you know, impeachment was considered to be the worst punishment possible that Congress could bring against the executive. It was something that actually led the threat of impeachment, led Nixon to resign. Uh, but it appears now that uh, at least the impeachment talk and potential impeachment proceedings now becoming relatively commonplace. So this is something we'll continue to monitor and let you know when they actually potentially move ahead here with an inquiry, something else to keep in mind. The Senate controlled by Democrats. So no conviction possible here. But nonetheless, the House has the power to impeach the Senate to convict and expel from office. The House controlled by Republicans. And that's where the action would be happening here. All right, Moshe, can we talk about UFOs yet? Something more likely than impeachment, Jill? (laughs) (laughs) These days on Capitol Hill, I guess anything is possible. Okay, so it is not just the stuff of science fiction anymore. The U.S. government is holding a historic UFO hearing today, except they're not just called UFOs anymore. They're called UAPs. This is a new term that includes not just unidentified flying objects, which are UFOs, but any craft of phenomena that are seen in space or underwater that can't be identified. Yeah, so there's a lot of terms thrown about now. There's UAVs, unidentified aerial vehicles, and then, Jill, as you said, UAPs, unexplained anomalous phenomena, uh, for those of you spelling this out at home. The hearing starts at 10 a.m. Eastern time, and before we even get going, I did include a link to where you can watch the hearing that is in our show notes As for what this is all about, this hearing is being brought by the uh, House Subcommittee on National Security, the Border and Foreign Affairs. It's going to focus in part on uh, ways to bring out some legislation so there could be more transparency to UAPs. Congressman Tim Burchett, a Republican from Tennessee, says, quote, the Pentagon and Washington bureaucrats have kept this information hidden for decades, and we are finally going to shed some light on it. We're bringing in credible witnesses who can provide public testimony because the American people deserve the truth. We are done with the cover-ups. You can't handle the truth, Jill. Can we really handle the truth here? (laughs) Do we want to know the truth? The House is going to be hearing from three witnesses about UAP, again, unidentified anomalous phenomena, who claim to have repeated inexplicable encounters. We're going to hear from David Fravor. He is an ex-Navy commander. Ryan Graves, a former fighter pilot for the Navy. And David Grush, who is a former U.S. intelligence officer, all three men have previously shared their experiences of encountering UAP while on the job. Grush recently claimed that the U.S. government has been recovering alien spacecraft and the bodies of UAP pilots for decades. He also says there is evidence of malevolent activity by UFOs. Important to mention, he has not provided any physical evidence that we know of uh, to back up his claims. But they are, in part, what led to this hearing. Jill, always skeptical of the fact that there could be intelligent life out there, outside our solar system, that could somehow make it here, but then crash once they get to Earth. The technology is so good, but then, you know, they're crashing in the ocean. That said, definitely some questions uh, that need answers. There was a time when all of this was thought as conspiracy theories. 
But this is one area where both Republicans and Democrats apparently are able to work together on Capitol Hill, which is let's get to the bottom of the whole alien thing. About a year ago, the Department of Defense created the All-Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, ARO, A-R-O, A-A-R-O. The goal is to collect and analyze all of the data available to the U.S. military and intelligence community related to UFOs. Graves, who you mentioned is testifying today, spoke with Newsweek over email last week. He said that military and commercial air crew members are often met with a sense of stigma for coming forward with these cases. They now feel more comfortable saying, I spotted something that does not appear to be of this world. He says that Congress needs to hear from military air crew and civilian pilots who routinely observe mysterious objects that make inexplicable maneuvers in the sky, again, zigzagging in ways that are not normal for the aircraft that currently exist. And so he hopes that they gain a sense of the stigma I experienced, frustration that commercial pilots experience, uh, that there's no real way to report this stuff. So the Pentagon has this new office for investigating UFO sightings. They've received hundreds of new reports just in the last year. And while they can explain more than half of the events, a sizable chunk remain a mystery. As of a recent report, Jill, they're focusing on about 170 cases, including some in which objects appear to have demonstrated unusual flight characteristics or performance capabilities and require further analysis. They got an initial group of 500 over the last couple of decades, but were able to explain many of those away as balloons or uh, military projects. Uh, one question people have here is, could some of this be explained by some Chinese military technology or Russian military technology? Uh, that said, you know, even NASA and the Pentagon admit there's some stuff here that we can't quite explain and we're willing to admit that. And so hopefully we we'll learn some more from this congressional hearing today. Jill, one thing I have to say about this, given who just was president, Donald Trump, and his pension for throwing things out there, taking some classified documents with him. Don't you think that would have been one of the first questions he would have asked and potentially put out? When he was president, Trump would have just been like, listen, this is the deal with the aliens. <laughs> Take, tell me what we found at Roswell, etc." So the, given that there was no admission during his administration, I've become more skeptical in the last couple of years. <laughs> uh, Mosh, you make a really good point. So I was listening to um, an interview that ABC News did with Sean Kirkpatrick. He is the person who runs the AARO, the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, as you were talking about. He said in the vast majority of cases, like you were mentioning, that, that there is a logical explanation for what caused the flashing light or whatever it is. But what struck me is asked whether he believes intelligent extraterrestrial life exists. He said, quote, I think it's statistically unrealistic to think it isn't and that finding it would probably be the best outcome of this job. And I think that's what a lot of us think, right? That the the universe that there's so much out there that why would we think it's just us? Right. It's definitely not just us. Let me clarify my earlier stance. There's got to be intelligent life out there. The universe is too grand, too large. My question is, if it was so intelligent and they could travel light years and make it here, first of all, would they visit us? Why are they visiting us? Um, and number two, they're going to come all the way from the far reaches of the galaxy up to places that we can't even travel to with our technology and then crash. I just, I find that a bit surprising, Jill. <laughs> Mosh, we will see what this hearing brings today. I will be watching it all day and we'll bring you highlights on the Instagram feed today. All right, Jill, we have a lot more to get to in this podcast, but I want to talk about a new partner we have on the Mo News podcast. And it is amazing for all of you who have small businesses, medium-sized businesses, even large businesses out there, or for those of you who are ready to launch your own startup. Jill, how does this sound make you feel? 
show me the money. <laughs> there you go. That's the sound of a sale using Shopify. If you're a business owner and you're looking for a solution to get your product out there, uh, that is the goal of all businesses. Shopify is the commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. Whether you're an entrepreneur making your way on Facebook Marketplace or over on Etsy, or whether you're IPO ready, Shopify is the tool you need to start, run, and grow your business without the struggle. Once you've reached your audience, Shopify has the best converting checkout on the internet to help you turn your audience from browsers to buyers. Jill, we're looking to launch merch for Mo News in the coming months, and we'll be looking at Shopify as the way to do it, to reach people. And right now, Shopify has a special deal for the Mo News community for all of you out there who are trying to sell your wares. You can sign up right now for a $1 per month trial period over at shopify.com slash Mo News, all lowercase. Again, shopify.com, that is S-H-O-P-I-F-Y, dot com slash mo news all our case to take your business to the next level and soon enough you'll be hearing this sound and most we're always talking about health trends and trends with food and how hard it is to get all of your nutrients well one way to get all of the important ones is athletic greens ag1 powder i take athletic greens in the morning it is just one scoop with a glass of water it is easy quick and it lets you get on with your day knowing that you've gotten over 75 important ingredients, including tons of vitamins and minerals. It also has pre and probiotics to support digestion and gut health. With your first purchase of AG1, Athletic Greens is giving Mo News listeners a free one-year supply of their vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1. You can visit drinkag1.com slash monews. To take advantage of this offer, you can get a discounted monthly subscription, or try it one time for just a month. Again, that is drinkag1.com slash monews, M-O-N-E-W-S, for this special deal, and really start to take ownership of your health. Okay, time now for the speed read from the Washington Post. The UPS worker strike has been averted for now. UPS and the International Brotherhood of Teamsters reached a deal Tuesday, a crucial step toward averting a nationwide strike that was slated for August 1st. It is seen as a victory for organized labor and especially for part-time workers struggling with inflation. The Teamsters represent about 340,000 workers. This five-year tentative deal includes $7.50 an hour pay increases for all UPS employees. Plus, UPS will be installing air conditioning units in delivery vans for the first time. It also establishes Martin Luther King Jr. Day as a holiday for workers for the first time. There is now a ban on driver-facing cameras in the truck cabs, as well as forced overtime on drivers' scheduled days off. Many people were surprised by that AC thing, by the way, Jill, that many UPS drivers, uh, as of today, don't have air conditioning, but will now get it as part of this deal. And so the UPS strike averted here, and many people are breathing a sigh of relief because that could have had a huge impact on the American economy, small businesses, uh, and just the ability to get packages. Uh, We wouldn't have seen a strike like that in decades. This summer, though, has been marked by a number of high-profile strikes, including that historic double strike that is currently paralyzing Hollywood, the more than 160,000 actors, 15,000 writers uh, on the picket line. In New York City, they had a very high-profile rally on uh, Tuesday, Jill, uh, in Times Square. Brian Cranston, uh, among those speaking, saying they will not stop until they get their demands. 
Additionally, beyond Hollywood, thousands of nurses, hotel workers, university workers have also gone on strike across the nation this year, often seeking higher wages that have not kept up with the surging inflation, especially in the last couple of years. Altogether, nearly 350,000 workers have gone on strike so far in 2023. That's according to the latest numbers over from Bloomberg. And that's the highest number in four years. That's when half a million workers went on strike, including teachers that year. A reminder when it comes to UPS and packages here that UPS handles about one in four of all packages sent within the U.S. system. So people on both sides said a deal here was crucial, notably on the labor side, on the union side. They believe that the UPS contract deal here is crucial to the larger union movement, which has shrunk by half over the past four decades, and that a strong deal here could influence future access for other blue-collar workers for better middle-class pay and benefits. From ESPN, Bronny James, the oldest son of L.A. Lakers star LeBron James, suffered cardiac arrest Monday at a University of Southern California basketball workout. He was immediately taken to a hospital. A family spokesperson says medical staff was able to treat Bronny. He's now in stable condition and no longer in the ICU. We ask for respect and privacy for the James family, and we will update media when there is more information James is just 18 years old. He is entering his freshman year at USC. He is ranked 20th in the 2023 ESPN 100 rankings. Yeah, there's a lot of talk of him actually after this year, Jill, actually going straight to the NBA draft and uh, hoping to play with his dad. Actually, that's something LeBron has said as well, that before he retires, he would like to play alongside his son, Bronny. Athlete heart health has been the focus of several high-profile incidents recently, and people are awaiting more details here on the Bronny situation. This is the second straight year that the USC Trojans program has had a player suffer cardiac arrest. Center Vincent Iwuchukwu, one of the top incoming freshmen in college basketball last season, suffered cardiac arrest last July and was hospitalized for a few days. Cartier Woods, an 18-year-old high school basketball player from Detroit, died earlier this year after suffering cardiac arrest during a game. And of course, we covered the DeMar Hamlin situation. That was the Buffalo Bill safety who collapsed on the field during his team's nationally televised game back in January. He is recovering and will be playing again. Hamlin actually posted his support on Twitter uh, Tuesday for Bronny James. Now, this has led to speculation on social media from a number of folks uh, who have been trying to point at the COVID vaccine uh, and a link here to cardiac arrests. Uh, right now, there is no evidence to confirm that the COVID vaccine caused James's cardiac arrest. But nonetheless, there is speculation online, among others, Elon Musk taking to his platform Twitter. I guess we're calling it X now because he renamed it over the weekend. He floated the possibility in a tweet or in an X. You call it an X now, Jill? I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we'll call it tweet then per Jill. He's tweeting speculation uh, saying that myocarditis uh, is a known side effect of the vaccine. The only question is whether it's rare or common. So myocarditis is a rare inflammatory condition that affects the heart. The CDC says in the last couple of years, they've gotten a few reports involving adolescents and young adult males who were administered the mRNA COVID vaccine and then experienced myocarditis in the days after. No indication, though, whether Bronny got the vaccine anytime recently or if there's long-term impact here. Again, this is all speculation online, but given the noise around this, we just wanted to let you guys know about it. But again, no link here, uh, and we do wish Bronny James and the James family a quick recovery here. 
from Politico, another candidate has qualified for next month's first Republican presidential debate. North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum will be joining some of the more well-known candidates on stage in Milwaukee after getting enough donors. And he used a pretty creative strategy to get there. Gift cards. So Burgum's campaign promised anyone who gave his campaign even one dollar, a twenty dollar gift card in return. Okay, so do the math there. Uh, That's 20 bucks in exchange for just $1. This was all in an effort for Burgum to meet a requirement set up by the Republican National Committee that candidates have 40,000 unique donors with 200 in 20 different states or territories. And the gambit worked. Burgum saying he crossed the donor threshold last week. He also passed the polling threshold as well by getting more than 1% in four different polls. He'll join the six others who have qualified, Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Chris Christie, Tim Scott, and Vivek Ramaswamy. Notably, and sort of embarrassingly so far for Mike Pence, the former vice president, he has not qualified yet. While he does meet the polling threshold, Mike Pence doesn't have enough donors And so he's hoping to get that number so he can be on stage in August. Uh, Jill, if you're collecting gift cards, it turns out another candidate is going to be adopting the strategy after Burgum's success. The mayor of Miami, Francis Suarez, you might have heard he's also running for president on the Republican side. He appears to be inspired here. So he is now offering, as of today, $20 gift cards in exchange for a dollar. His goal also to meet the donor threshold here. Uh, By the way, Suarez already uh, has been pursuing a few tactics to get uh, people to donate. He was giving away soccer tickets for uh, Messi's first game in Miami. He's doing a college tuition raffle. uh, And now he's doing the gift card thing. Uh, If you check out his tweet, it sends you straight to his Venmo page, which is a little more bizarre than the Burgum thing. Burgum had a website uh, he would send you to. Suarez just like, here's my Venmo account. Hit me up. Uh, it remains to be seen, Jill, based on the people who have been messaging me who did this, uh, when the gift cards will come from Burgum or from Suarez. Keep in mind, Burgum's a billionaire. Suarez, not so much. So we'll see how he's able to afford this sort of $19 loss deal that he's pursuing here. But back to the debate. So there are seven qualified candidates for the debate. The question is, will all of them show up? And by that, I mean, will Donald Trump show up? <laughs> he has asked aloud whether he should even bother given his polling advantage right now. He's polling 20 to 30 percent ahead of everybody else. Should he even give them the time on stage? Notably, Fox in the poll we reported on earlier this week asked the question of Republican voters, is it a sign of strength or weakness to skip the debate? The majority of Republicans telling Fox it's a sign of weakness. I imagine the folks at Fox have made sure to forward that result to Donald Trump to try to encourage him to attend next month's debate. Jill, as we talk about 2024 politics here and the latest on the campaign, we learned yesterday that Ron DeSantis, uh, who's in second place in most polls, has had to lay off a third of his campaign staff due to overspending. They say the campaign here is undergoing a reset. This will help them become leaner and meaner. The criticism, though, is that he got too big too quickly, doesn't have enough money, uh, and isn't getting traction. And so that's the reason for the reset here. Uh, One other notable thing, Jill, Tim Scott getting interesting momentum right now. He's the senator from South Carolina. He's in double digits now, above 10% in a number of the early states, which is typically where you want to be at this juncture in the race six months out. You don't want to be too hot. You don't want to be too cold. You want to be gradually warming up. And that interesting, he's going to be interesting to watch here, the Tim Scott thing and how he performs at the debate next month. 
From NBC News, like a hot tub, water temperatures off Florida soared over 100 degrees. Stunning experts. This week, a buoy near Manatee Bay recorded an astounding 101.1 degree water temperature. Manatee Bay is about 40 miles south of Miami. On Sunday, it registered 100.2 degrees. For perspective here, the average hot tub temperature is 100 to 102 degrees Fahrenheit. Little kids aren't even supposed to go in water that hot for more than a couple of minutes. Um, while the readings would have been considered a possible outlier or sensor error, surrounding buoys recorded similarly high temperatures around 98 and 99 degrees. There are a lot of factors that could have played a role in spiking the water temperature above 100 degrees, like air temps, which are in the mid to upper 90s, weak winds across the region of less than 10 miles per hour, really strong sunlight hitting shallow water, which heats up faster than deep water, and silty water leading to darker color, causing more absorption of sunlight and additional heating. Just think of clear water versus murky water as being similar to cement versus asphalt. The darker the color, the more absorption and hotter the temperatures. Yeah, apparently this buoy, Jill, was in five feet of water, so pretty shallow and able to heat up quicker than deeper water. But these water temperatures, if verified here, would challenge the record for hottest sea surface temperature in the world right now, that temperature record. Now, while world water temperature records aren't kept everywhere globally, a 99.7 degree temperature recorded in Kuwait Bay is considered the world record at this time. Jill, you mentioned the weak winds. Uh, right now, the weather pattern there is leading to weaker than usual trade winds. Those usually come from the southeast, lead to a sea breeze for South Florida, which helps keep sea surface temperatures in check. Instead, the winds have been coming out of the west are pretty weak, leading to these high temps. And Florida's not alone here. We have been seeing hot temps in the ocean around the world. The Mediterranean Sea reached its hottest level on record on Monday at 83.1 degrees Fahrenheit. We're also seeing records in the waters west of Peru in South America and in the North Atlantic Ocean, way above normal, almost 20 degrees above normal in some areas off the coast of Nova Scotia, off there, off the east coast of Canada. The abnormally warm waters surrounding South Florida and the Florida Keys are damaging coral reefs. That's one of the real impacts here when we talk about these temperatures. They're bleaching coral reefs. That's where there's a lot of life. Uh, they lead to a lot of nutrition. You know, keep in mind, there's a domino effect in the ocean. This eats that, eats that, eats this, survives on X. And when the coral reefs die, that hurts the entire ecosystem. So that's something people have been especially concerned about. It was actually the subject of a recent podcast we put out in May with Paul Nicklin and Christina Mittermeier, a conservationist and photographers from National Geographic who talked all things ocean. So you can check out that podcast from just a couple months ago. Remember, coral reefs have been there for literally millions of years in some cases, um, and then in just kind of like the blink of an eye, are destroyed. And scientists who, who work on those coral reefs are, are heartbroken. I was listening to an interview with one of them uh, a couple of days ago. And something that we've talked about, I feel like if you're listening to this and you think, oh, I want to go and experience that water, it sounds lovely, as you were saying, the ripple effects of that type of heat and what it is doing to the health of the ecosystem. The example I always like to use when we talk about global warming is, is the human body. We're at 98.6 degrees, but if you have a little bit of a fever and you're even two degrees above that, you're probably feeling pretty sick. So basically, that is what the Earth is experiencing right now. 
Yeah, that's why they're so concerned about that one and a half degree threshold, one and a half degrees Celsius threshold uh, for temperature increases uh, due to CO2 emissions. Jill, you know, like the same thing, your body, you're two degrees above your normal temperature and your whole ecosystem is completely out of whack. All right, a different type of White House scandal than we are used to from the Associated Press. According to DHS records just released, President Biden's dog, Commander, bit or attacked Secret Service personnel at least 10 times between October 2022 and January of this year, including one incident that required a hospital visit by the injured law enforcement officer. The conservative watchdog group Judicial Watch on Tuesday released nearly 200 pages of Secret Service records that it obtained through a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. Commander is the second dog of Biden's to behave aggressively. Their first dog, another German shepherd named Major, was actually sent to live with friends in Delaware after behaving similarly. Mosh, what is going on? <laughs> These shepherds are out of control at the White House. Joe. On November 3rd, 2022, a Secret Service official emailed colleagues that Commander had bitten a uniformed officer twice on the upper right arm and thigh. Staff from the White House medical unit treated that officer and decided to have that person taken to the hospital. The officer who was bitten used a steel cart to protect himself from another attack. Commander, man. Jeez. Commander a bit out of control, it appears. The White House and Secret Service, though, are playing down the situation with the release of those documents yesterday. But the latest incidents do raise questions about why the Bidens brought another German shepherd to the White House after they had to send Major back to Delaware uh, and why the attacks continue. Uh, a communications director for the First Lady, uh, Elizabeth Alexander, said in an email that the White House complex is a unique and often stressful environment for family pets and that the Biden family is working through ways to make the situation better for everybody. She adds that the Bidens have been working with the Secret Service and the White House resident staff on additional leashing protocols and training for Commander, as well as establishing designated areas where he can run around for exercise so he's not biting people. Biden received Commander back in December 2021 as a gift from his brother James. The family, by the way, also has a cat, Willow, who uh, it appears isn't attacking anybody right now. So Willow is good. Commander appears to be the issue. He's often seen in photos and videos being led around by the White House chief groundskeeper. Uh, let's hope they can get Commander under control. And we're thinking about you, Secret Service. We know you guys have a tough job and you don't need the dog biting you while you're at work. But uh, the dog's adorable, Jill. I, I hope they're able to, you know, ensure that he stops biting people. All right. I think Moshe is snacking on something. Which leads us I am. perfectly. I'm still, I'm still much on the chocolate covered peanuts here. Okay, it leads us perfectly to our final story from the New York Post. There is a correct way to snack, according to scientists. A new study reveals that snacking isn't necessarily bad for you as long as you snack on nutritious foods and avoid doing it late at night. One of the researchers says that surprisingly little has been published on snacking despite the fact that it accounts for 20 to 25% of energy intake. Researchers at King's College of London looked at data from over 1,000 people to determine if snacking affects health and if the quality of the snack matters. The study was part of the Zoe Predict Project, a series of large, in-depth nutritional studies designed by personalized nutrition app Zoe. So while about 17% of participants were classified as grazers, 
One in three were late evening snackers, eating the majority of their snacks after 9 p.m. Participants kept a food diary and wore blood sugar monitors to track their snacking habits. Out of those who participated in the study, 95% had at least one snack per day with an average of 2.3 daily snacks, making up roughly 22% of daily calorie consumption. High-quality snacks tend to have healthier levels of blood glucose and fat levels, such as fruits, veggies, and nuts, which I feel like is the least surprising news <laughs> of the day. No? Yeah, I was just doing an assessment of what I was snacking on as you were reading that. So it's not late at night as we record this. I am eating peanuts, but they're covered in chocolate. So check, not check, check, I think. So I feel okay about the snack at the moment, Jill. I feel like you're good. By the way, I don't know what 2.3 daily snacks is. Like, what is that third of a snack? I don't know, because I basically just snack all day. That is one of the hazards of working from home is just the proximity of your kitchen. So Jill, let me know which category you fall in here, because researchers found four categories of snackers whose bodies reacted differently to snacking. There are morning snackers, more than half of your daily snacks before noon. There are afternoon snackers between noon and six, evening snackers after 6 p.m., and then those with no distinct snacking pattern also referred to as the aforementioned grazers. I am either a grazer or the afternoon snacker. Got it. So for those who snacked after 9 p.m., they had the worst blood glucose and fat markers compared to those who snacked during the day. So that's an issue. Do not do your snacking late at night, according to the study. The science here is they believe that those late night snacks shorten the fasting window between dinner and breakfast and slow down the process of breaking down and metabolizing food. You can do a quick Google for the full study here, but the bottom line researchers say, quote, our study showed that the quality of snacking is more important than the quantity or frequency of snacking, thus choosing high quality snacks over highly processed snacks is likely beneficial. And then they mention the timing window here. So keep your snacks healthy, keep it before 9 p.m. and uh, all in moderation, as they say, Jill. I wonder where ice cream fits in on the snacking chart, Mosh. Ice cream is dessert that is part of a meal, Jill. Oh, fair. Snack <laughs> fair enough. <laughs> like I try to keep, I try to keep my snacks like to nuts and like those types of items. Uh, I try to keep them relatively um, healthy. Um, I was actually told by a nutritionist a while back that like I have the type of uh, glucose and type of body type or whatever where I need to be snacking throughout the day. Uh, to maintain my energy level. So I'm taking that to the bank uh, and ensuring that I snack throughout the day based on the medical advice that I got. Yeah, I would take that and run with it. <laughs> All right, that brings us to On This Day in History on this July 26th. We're to begin in 1775 with You've Got Mail. The U.S. Postal Service was established today by the Second Continental Congress, Benjamin Franklin, named the first Postmaster General. All right, fast forward to 1948. On this day in history, President Harry Truman signed Executive Order 9981 that abolished racial segregation in the U.S. military. Sticking with presidents here, on this day in 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act was signed into law by President George H.W. Bush. The legislation provided civil rights protections for individuals with physical and mental disabilities, guaranteed them equal opportunity in public accommodations, employment, transportation. Jill, it was a revolution when it comes to access in this country. And that's something that we all benefit from, all the ramps, um, all the ADA compliant things that weren't a thing as of a few decades ago. And we end here with a bit of music news on this day in history. Jill, there's no official date here, but there's an unofficial date to the start of disco. And it is today in 1975. 
On this day, 48 years ago, July 26, 1975, Van McCoy's The Hustle topped the Billboard Hot 100 and Hot Soul Singles chart, simultaneously signaling the beginning of the disco era. Jill, with the debate over when disco started, I think we here at Mo News have decided to go with this date, <laughs> with The Hustle hitting number one. I'm comfortable with that. All right, good. Let's fast forward to the 1990s on this day in history. Boys and Men released their song. I'll make love to you 29 years ago today, July 26, 1994. Jill, the reason I included this is I still remember my bar mitzvah was just a few months after that. And my mother wouldn't allow this song to be played at my bar mitzvah. I was just 13 years old. And she thought the lyrics were a bit adult for our age bracket. Debbie Wanunu, I don't disagree. I, I, I respect that decision. I remember a couple of slow dances at my friends' parties at the time, but at my bar mitzvah, there was no I'll make love to you for the record. <laughs> and closing us out here, the Bahamut. A perfect song given uh, the news about Commander, Joe Biden's dog. <laughs> There's a theme today, everybody. Uh, that, of course, is Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men, which was released today, 23 years ago, on July 26, 2000. All right. We want to thank everyone for listening to the Mo News Podcast. If you like what you hear, and hopefully you do if you've made it this far, please share this episode or this podcast with your friends. Our goal is to make you look smart, the smartest person in the room, maybe crush it at trivia night. And don't forget to follow us and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Review us in the App Store so we can continue to grow. Sharing is caring, as they say, Jill. Share the podcast. <laughs> yes. Show you care. Uh, we try to give you a range of stories every day. Some people have told me, by the way, Jill, that they feel like uh, following Mo News, whether it's on Instagram or this podcast, makes them a good middle at tables, meaning they can lead a conversation on multiple topics, uh, as in the middle of the table. This was covered in a couple of Curb Your Enthusiasm episodes where you can conduct the whole conversation because you can you can talk about everything from climate change to impeachment to UFOs or UAPs uh, or, you know, what the dog is up to at the White House again. So appreciate all of you and your support. Again, share this podcast. Let people know. Uh, also, we uh, come to everyone in newsletter form every morning at 5 a.m. So you can go check that out over at mo.news and subscribe to the newsletter. It's free and in your inbox every day at 5 a.m. All right. Bye, everybody. Later. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.